continue our study tonight with the first four verses in chapter 2, Philippians 2, 1 to 4. As always, be reminded as we read together that these are the very living words of the living God. Paul's letter to the church at Philippi, chapter 2, beginning at verse 1. So, if there is any encouragement in Christ, any comfort from love, any participation in the Spirit, any affection and sympathy, complete my joy by being of the same mind, having the same love, being in full accord and of one mind. Do nothing from selfish ambition or conceit, but in humility count others more significant than yourselves. Let each of you look not only to his own interests, but also to the interests of others. The grass withers and the flowers fall, but the word of the Lord stands forever. Let's pray. Our sovereign Lord, just four verses from your word tonight, so clear and so easy to understand, yet truly some of the most difficult to practice, let alone attempt to master in this life. Bear with us and teach us tonight, we pray together, amen. Amen. You may be seated. As we continue our study in this great epistle of Paul to this church that he dearly loved and had a unique place in his heart, it seems as if almost every week we're getting these refrigerator magnet or t-shirt type quotes and verses. We just heard a couple of weeks ago, didn't we? For me to live is Christ, to die, gain. Chapter 2, next week, we will hear, every knee shall bow, every tongue shall confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. In subsequent weeks, we will be hearing, rejoice in the Lord always. And again, I say, rejoice, and I can do all things through Christ that strengthens me. One commentator calls these verses Mount Everest passages. And if these peaks in Philippians tonight are indeed snow-capped mountaintop verses, unfortunately tonight we find ourselves somewhere in a dusty road between Lubbock and Denver City. And those that you have laughed have actually probably been there. Uh, But really, why would we expect anything less from the Apostle Paul? For we know, don't we, that as he pens these mountaintop Everest-type verses, he is still tied into his uh, his imprisonment and actually chained to a Roman soldier. So no mountaintops for us tonight. We'll save that for next week and beyond. Tonight we're in the outback, we're in the dusty country road of humility and instructions to just get along with each other. Paul is stressing the importance of unity tonight in the local church as the thing that he says completes his joy. So tonight we'll get Paul's message to us very simply. First, in verses 1 and 2, we'll see the marks of unity. And even what unity might feel like. And then second, in verses 3 to 4, we'll get the uh, 
making of unity or how we do it. So first, the marks of church unity. Verse 1. So, your translation may say, therefore. This is a Greek conjunction. And if you were raised around a television anywhere around the 60s and early 70s, you will remember conjunction, junction, what's your function? And many of you may still know that. And sorry for any of you that were uh, over or under 40, more, uh, your Saturday mornings were pretty pathetic. I can remember my kids watching just atrocious things like Voltron and Transformer. And of course, we had Bugs Bunny, Roadrunner, and Schoolhouse Rock. But if you remember that, conjunction, junction, what's your function? It is hooking up words and phrases and clauses, <laughs> right? I never forgot. The second time, they actually add complex sentences that the conjunctions tie in together. But the conjunction from Paul here, so or therefore in your text, is connecting the previous section. Look quickly, if you will, at chapter 1, verse 27. As a matter of fact, our previous section, uh, chapter 1, verses 27 through 30, and our text tonight, chapter 2, verses 1 through 4, are each just single sentences from the pen of the Apostle Paul. So look at how the previous section starts, verse 1 27. Paul here is connecting these two sentences. Only let your manner of life be worthy of the gospel of Christ, so that whether I come and see you or am absent, I may hear of you that you are standing firm in one spirit with one mind, striving side by side for the faith of the gospel. So Paul in our text tonight is saying, okay, now I'm going to explain and connect. What I mean tonight is uh, how you live a life that is worthy of the gospel. So back to verse 1 in our text, chapter 2. So, or therefore. Then Paul connects the sections by reasoning like every good parent in here knows naturally. It's such good reasoning. So if therefore... If there is any encouragement in Christ, any comfort from love, any participation in the Spirit, any affection and sympathy, complete my joy by being of the same mind, having the same love, being in full accord and of one mind. Paul is asking the Philippians here a series of four rhetorical if-then questions that everybody already knows the answer to. He's saying, Philippians, are there any encouragement in Christ? Is there any encouragement in Christ? Philippians say, yes. Is there any comfort in love? The Philippians say, yes. Do you have fellowship together with the Holy Spirit? The Philippians say, yes. Do you, as believers, in fact, receive affection and sympathy from God? The Philippians say, yes. Then, love each other and get along. As I said, every good parent does this just like Paul at the first sign 
of grumbling. I'm going to pick on Owen Stone tonight because he knows how much I like him. The Stone family has just had an amazing meal. After dinner, mom says, Owen, will you clear the table for me? Not that this would ever happen. Grumble. Why do I have to do it? Had never has to do it. Bad attitude. Then dad says, Owen, did your mom not go grocery shopping for this great dinner we had? Yes. Did your mom not plan it and cook it knowing that hamburgers are your favorite meal? Yes. Did she not make a great dinner and wasn't it so good? Yes. Then do you think it's too much to ask of you to help your mom by clearing the table? No. Tell her you're sorry, please. Sorry, mom. And we move on. We've all done it. Can I just say, uh, as one of your pastors, I get Paul here. Two of my favorite times in the life of our church are the 20 minutes, or in the case of Sunday night, sometimes the hour after the service, just watching you together, hearing the buzz, the laughter, seeing the kids happy together gives me pure delight. This is what Paul is saying here. Fulfill or make my joy complete. He already had a godly joy in his life, even being in these dire, dire circumstances that would put everyone in this room in total misery. He is overflowing with contentment, peace, and joy. But what would make that joy complete is seeing this church that he loves, loving each other in Christian unity. Contentions between members was to Paul like fighting children are to us as parents. This, after all, was not the Corinthian church with all of its moral failings and issues. This was a great church. But word had gotten to Paul in Rome of contentions springing up at the church in Philippi. He even mentions two ladies by name in chapter 4 of the text. In verse 2, he says, I entreat Judea and I entreat Syntyche to agree in the Lord. He says, yes, I ask also, true companion, help these women who have labored side by side with me in the gospel, together with Clement and the rest of my fellow workers whose names are in the book of life. Help them reconcile. They must reconcile. So Paul is not only gently in love, but firmly saying, this is why you should be united. Because every one of you and every one of us have all received undeserved encouragement from Jesus Christ. Comfort in love. Fellowship together with the Holy Spirit and God's affection and sympathy. Look just briefly, if you would, with me uh, in our evening bulletin to our benediction. The same words and construction from the Apostle Paul, and notice his Trinitarian allusion that cannot be missed and is significant. Our benediction tonight, the grace of the Lord Jesus Christ and the love of God 
and the fellowship of the Holy Spirit be with you all. Amen. 2 Corinthians 13, 14. Oh, believer, the Godhead who created the very universe is working together for your salvation. The grace and encouragement from the Lord Jesus Christ, the electing and comforting love of God the Father, the fellowship and work of the Holy Spirit that draws each of us sweetly and effectually to the bosom of Christ, that he might what? Present it to himself and his Father, his bride, as Paul puts it in Ephesians 5, a glorious church, not having spot nor wrinkle or any such thing, but that it should be holy and without blemish. Except we just don't like each other. Arguing, fighting, jealousies, petty secondary doctrinal and practical issues. Really? And it's not only completing the Apostle Paul's joy that's at stake here. Listen to what the Lord Jesus Christ himself says while praying to his Father in John 17. Jesus says, I am praying for them. I am not praying for the world, but for those whom you have given me, for they are yours. All mine are yours. What a verse. All mine are yours, and yours are mine, and I am glorified in them. And what is Jesus praying? Verse 11, that they may be one, even as we are one. Jesus Christ is praying here, and it was his holy will then, and still is today, that we love each other and are united together. He goes on to show us what this unity looks like in verse 2. Paul says, complete my joy by being of the same mind, having the same love, being in full accord and of one mind. What does this unity look like? It looks like a church being of the same mind. Not a robotic thinking group of automatons that look alike, dress alike, talk alike. This is attitudinal. This is to think alike. We'll see this explained more next Sunday night as Paul goes on to say, our minds need to be like the mind of Jesus Christ. It looks like love. When you love someone and you care about them, you sacrifice for them, you do what's best for them. Unity looks like and sounds like the buzz and the laughter that we'll hear again in a short while. It looks like being of one accord or of one purpose. An amazing word in the original here. It literally means one sold. This is why I quite frankly get tired of men and women looking for their soulmate. This is Hollywood nonsense. How many Hollywood soulmates are married and then six months later gone? Listen, free advice to those of you looking for a wife or husband. Is the person you are interested in a faithful, dedicated believer in Jesus Christ? Then you have a soulmate, <laughs> period. It's not that difficult. A united church looks like 
a one-souled church. It's living the first catechism question out, the chief end of man or the one purpose of a united church is to love God and each other and enjoy him and each other forever. That's what unity is. Those are the marks of unity. Now, how do we get there? Verses 3 and 4, the making of unity. Verse 3, you know, we'll see in a few weeks, I can do all things through Christ, which, which strengthens me. I would say, try this verse on. Verse 3, do nothing from selfish ambition or conceit, but in humility count others more significant than yourselves. I'm assuming everyone here tonight that would come to two services on a Sunday morning is a believer or at least wants to live and love Jesus Christ and obey his word. I would ask you, is there any verse in the New Testament less obeyed and more difficult to obey than this one? I don't know one. Perhaps you do. This verse simply baffled first century Christians and non-Christians. One writer puts it this way. The Hellenistic Greek authors viewed humility with contempt because it connoted lowliness, weakness, lack of freedom, servility, and subjection. Exactly what Christians are to strive for. He goes on. Great men were to overcome the shame of lowliness and humility and weakness through noble acts and thoughts. A Christian mom was preparing uh, for her boys their Saturday chocolate chip pancakes. She had two boys, Kevin five and brother Ryan three. The boys began to argue over who would get the first pancake. Their mother, seeing the opportunity for a moral lesson, says, now boys, if Jesus were sitting here, he would say, let my brother have the first pancake. I can wait. With that, the older Kevin turned to his younger brother, Ryan, and said, you be Jesus. <laughs> That's how we are. The truth here is that Paul is not instructing them to beat themselves up. Being humble is not beating yourself up. There are simply two negatives, two do-nots, uh, do nothing from selfish ambition or conceit, and one positive. Uh, and that would be counting others more significant than yourself. Humility is not putting yourself down, especially hypocritically. There's nothing worse, isn't there, than a feigned, insincere humility and piety that drips. Paul is not instructing us to put ourselves low. It's building and lifting others up. It's putting others ahead of you, giving others the place of honor, respecting them, listening to them, speaking about them, serving them, strengthening them. 
this is more radical in our world than the Copernican Revolution. It's not behaving like you are the sun with all bodies in orbit circling you. And Paul nails it, doesn't he, in verse 4. Let each of you look not only to his own interests, but also the interests of others. You know, in the, the, in the original text, the word interests is not there. And the old King James and others would put words that are added for translation value in italics. They're added by translators for meaning. The literal construction of this verse is, let each of you look not only to own, but others. I think that's just pure. It's beautiful. Okay, I, I think I hear you out loud saying, okay, I get it. Uh, but these are just what humility looks like. How do I do it? How does one become humble? Through prayer? Through trial and error? The spiritual disciplines? Accountability? Mentoring? I really do want to be humble. How do I do it? I agree Paul calls for humility to live out the Christian life. But how does one become humble? Listen to the doctor. The incomprehensive or incomparable Dr. Martin Lloyd-Jones. He addresses this very question in a sermon entitled Living Water on John chapter 4, The Woman at the Well. He says, as only the doctor can. He says, a friend asked me straight out the other day. You can just hear Lloyd-Jones saying this, can't you? A friend asked me straight out the other day, how can I be humble? He felt there was pride in him, and he truly wanted to know how to get rid of it. He seemed to think that I had some patent remedy and could tell him, do this, that, and the other, and you will be humble. I said, brother, I have no method or technique. And I can't tell you to get down on your knees and believe in prayer you will be humble because I know as soon as you are up, we will be proud of the fact that you prayed. Ah, friend, that's Lloyd-Jones. Ah, friend, there is only one way to do it. There is only one way to be humble, and that is to look into the face of Jesus Christ. You cannot be anything else when you see him. That is the only way, he goes on. Humility is not something you can create within yourself. Rather, look at Christ and you realize who he is and what he has done and you don't become humble. You are humble. And that's exactly where Paul goes, doesn't he, in the next verse, which we'll see next week. We'll see next Sunday night, let this mind be in you, which was also in Christ Jesus. A dusty old backcountry road indeed tonight, not a mountain peak. Nothing new 
Nothing earth-shattering. No real insight. Just one sentence from the pen of Paul to those he loved so much. Brothers and sisters, can you even imagine this church, this city, this community, if we lived together in this type of humility and unity? And can we all imagine that day when we forevermore will be staring into that same face? Ah, let's pray together. Father in heaven, we are not humble. We want to be. We want to love others as you have loved. And we may have tried many things, turning over new leaves, new patterns of Bible reading, new patterns of, of spiritual disciplines and accountability groups, etc. But Lord, help us to stare into your face, to see you and be humbled is our prayer of unity as a church. In Christ's name we pray. Amen.